We're going to move into our time of prayer and meditation together now. If you've never been with us before or haven't been with us for a while, our meditation time and prayer time is really an important part of our experience together. I'll describe how we, what we do during this segment, and then we'll jump right into it. So we begin with chanting from the front of the room. Usually the chant is in Sanskrit or some ancient uh, sacred language. If by chance you know the words, feel free to hum along You're certainly, or sing along. You're certainly welcome to do that. So we have chanting, and then we move into the practice of mindfulness meditation. And this is simply consciously being aware of each breath in and each breath out. We spend a little bit of time practicing a technique called the heart math lock-in. I'll take us through that. It's very, very simple, but it deepens our meditation a bit. And then we do spend some time together in complete silence and stillness. So having said that, do make sure that your cell phones are turned off, because it's always funny. If they're going to go off, they're going to go off when the room is completely quiet. And now that we have so many fun and funny cell phone sounds, it can be rather humorous. But let's not have that humor in the meditation time. So we'll spend a little bit of time in the silence, and then I'll bring you back out of that experience. So posture is important. It's important because if we sit with our back nice and straight, it helps us to be able to to meditate more effectively because then the body is kind of not in the way, so to speak. During second service where we're more full, um, it's a little hard to sit cross-legged in your chair, but if you want to try that and you're not going to bump into somebody next to you, you're more than welcome to. Otherwise, sit with your legs uncrossed and your feet flat on the floor. That also is an important um, uh, benefit to meditating more effectively. Then just let your hands rest comfortably in your lap. And when you're ready, go ahead and close your eyes. Nothing weird's going to happen, I promise. And we usually begin with the three cleansing breath techniques that Thich Nhat Hanh, the Vietnamese Buddhist monk, teaches. And I'll describe it, and then we'll do it. So it is taking a conscious breath in, being aware of that breath as you let it go, and then practicing in your body the feeling of letting go. Then with the second conscious breath in and then out, you practice a feeling of being here, meaning really bring your awareness into this room and your awareness into your physical body. And then with the third conscious breath in and out, the practice is the feeling of being open, an open mind, an open heart, an open awareness. So go ahead and take first just a nice, deep, long breath in. And then as you let that breath go, really feel yourself letting go. Another deep breath in and out. And this time, maybe even let it go with a sigh. And take another deep breath in. And as you let that breath go, begin now to practice the feeling, letting go. Do that again, a deep breath in. And as you release that breath, practice the feeling again of letting go. Breathe in deeply again. And as you release that breath, 
Practice the feeling of being here. And repeat that, deep breath in. Let it go. Practice a feeling being here. And a third time, deep breath in. Let that breath go. Practice the feeling opening up. And again, deep breath in. Release that breath. Practice the feeling opening up. And now continue in that gentle, rhythmic pattern, aware of each breath, practicing the feelings of letting go, being here, opening up.
As the room becomes a little more quiet, continue to deepen into your time of stillness. Continuing to be aware of each breath as you take it into the body. And noticing the breath as it leaves your body. Gentle, steady attention, quiet and peaceful. Letting go, being here, opening up. Letting go, being here, opening up, if your attention wanders, gently bring it back to the very next breath, and when you're ready, let your attention drop into the area of the heart the center of your chest, imagining each peaceful and mindful breath moving in and through the heart, quiet mind, still body, open heart. Quiet mind, still body, open heart. You might find it helpful to imagine breathing in and out a positive feeling such as peace or appreciation 
or love or joy. Taking that quality into your being and releasing the blessings of that quality all around you. And so continue for the next few minutes in complete stillness and silence, aware of the breath, heart-focused attention, breathing in peace or love or joy or appreciation, and breathing it out in the silence, in the silence.
As you hear the music filling the room again, allow your attention to rise to the surface and take just a moment before you close your meditation to say a silent thank you, to let your heart and soul feel grateful not only for your time in quiet and stillness, but for the blessing of the experiencing community. There's a deepening and a rich, richness that happens when we sit in stillness and silence in prayer together. And then go ahead and take a nice deep breath in. Just let that breath go. And maybe another nice deep breath in and out. Thank you, Spirit. Namaste. So last Sunday, we began a series based on a book written by a classmate of mine. The classmate is Reverend Robert Brummett, and the book he wrote is Finding Yourself in Transition, Using Life's Changes for Spiritual Awakening. I like that. Using Life's Changes for Spiritual Awakening. So I just got back from Portland, Oregon, uh, pretty late on Thursday evening. I was there attending the quarterly meetings for our Association for Global New Thought, a board I've sat on now since 1999. And while there, I had the opportunity of connecting with another ministerial classmate of mine, Reverend Victoria Echemendi. She has a Unity Church not too far um, outside of Portland. And we got to chatting, and since we were both ordained in 1980, we got to chatting not only about our classmate Bob and his book on finding yourself in transition, but just on the many transitions we have experienced in our Unity movement, in having served it now as ministers for three and a half plus decades. Changes that we have seen in our world, tremendous changes, you've seen them too. Changes we've experienced personally, both personally and physically and relationally and in every, every way imaginable. This idea of finding yourself in transition and using change for spiritual awakening is a really timely one. Last week we talked about the fact that change is inevitable. Every single one of us in this room knows that. Change is inevitable, but transition and transformation is not inevitable. We can't stop change from happening, but just because change happens does not mean that we're going to trans transition through it in such a way that we emerge on the other side of it, a transformed being. And yet, I believe that those of us in this room are committed to transformation. We are committed to continuing to grow and to evolve spiritually and professionally and personally. We don't just want an old life lived in a new way. We want a new life, don't we? Not just the old life lived in a new way. We want a new life. Much of the time, transition is often also a time of crisis, chaos, and confusion. Would you agree? Time of crisis, chaos, and confusion. When I think of the word crisis, I'm reminded of, in the Chinese language, the word crisis is made of two words, pictorially, of two words, and those two words are 
danger, and do you know what the other one is? Opportunity, danger and opportunity. It puts a very interesting look at what crisis really is or what it can be. Yes, it can have an element of danger to it, an element of the not known, the uncertain, but within that is the element of opportunity. Opportunity for what? Opportunity to grow, opportunity for something new, opportunity for a breakthrough. It is true that oftentimes, in order to have a breakthrough, we first have to have a breakdown, a breakdown. As I was looking over my notes last night, and I came to this part about breakthrough, I had a flashback of a memory that happened to me when I was about 12 or 13 years old. It's not something I've thought about for a long time. And I remember vividly, I was at the San Diego Zoo, the very first time my family had just moved from New York, and we were doing all the things that people do when they move to San Diego, checking out all of the great, wonderful um, places and tourist places and so forth. And of course, San Diego Zoo was one of them. And I remember walking into the children's part of the San Diego Zoo. I don't even know if they still have this anymore, but they, well, I know they have the children's part, but do they still have the part where you can see the baby chicks hatching? Yes, yes I was fascinated by that. I stood at that little cage or whatever it was for a long time, waiting and watching as a couple of those baby chicks were at the point of breaking through the shell. It was one of the most powerful, vivid memories. It was so much fun. Have you ever done that? Have you ever watched that little chick break through? It would chip away, chip away. If you were careful and listened intently, you could actually hear it, and then all of a sudden it would be quiet. And then that same chick would start up again. I couldn't help but think it must be exhausted inside there. It is so ready to come out, but to break through was taking a tremendous amount of energy and effort. And of course, as an adult, I can look upon that as a metaphor for our own breakthroughs, our own transformation. We're talking about changes that help us to transition to transformation. And in order to do that, we have to understand the role that endings plays. The role that endings, not plays, the role that endings play, and the fact that things that once served us well may no longer serve us well. Like that shell for that baby chick, in the beginning it was exactly what it needed, right? However, there comes a point in its development that that shell would cause its death if that chick does not break through it. And the breaking through isn't necessarily easy, and sometimes that breaking through can actually be a painful experience. My friend and anthropologist Jean Houston writes, in times of suffering, when you feel abandoned, perhaps even annihilated, there is occurring at levels deeper than your pain, there is occurring at levels deeper than your pain, the entry of the sacred, the possibility of redemption. Wounding opens the doors of our sensibility to a larger reality, 
which is blocked to our habituated and conditioned point of view. Pathos, suffering, gives us eyes and ears to see and hear what our normal eyes and ears cannot. These are powerful words. At deeper levels than your pain, at deeper levels than your pain, the entry of the sacred, the possibility of redemption, wounding opens the doors of our sensibility to a larger reality. And yet, in the face of particularly emotional pain, what do we tend to do? check out or try to back away as far as we can or we shut down. Now, pain does serve a place in our lives. It serves an important function, especially physically. Thank goodness we have pain sensors that when we touch an open flame, if we do, what do we do automatically? We do not have to think about it. We pull back. But emotional pain is something we need to understand and neither pull back from too soon nor push down and ignore. Because emotional pain, the kind of pain that is preceding the transformation that, that our soul is really yearning for, is trying to get our attention. The poet Khalil Gibran, do you remember the book he wrote, The Prophet? I was doing some work in our study, rearranging my bookcases, and two of my favorite books, didn't fall off the shelf, but two of my favorite books grabbed my attention again, one of them being The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. If you've never read it, pick up a copy and read it. There's good poetry in there, and I'm not a poetry lover per se, but good poetry in there. And the other book was Jonathan Livingston Siegel. How many of you remember both of those books? Yeah. In the prophet Khalil Gibran says this about pain. Pain is the breaking of the shell that encloses your understanding. Pain is the breaking of the shell that closes your understanding, that, en that encloses your understanding. We want to break beyond that shell, do we not? We want to get on the other side of it. We want to step into a larger reality. We want to step into a deeper understanding. When we are able to step into that larger reality, when we are able to step into that deeper understanding, doors of possibility open for us that were closed previously. You may recall that King Solomon, of all the things he could have asked for, asked for one thing. Do you remember what it was? Give thy servant an understanding heart. Understanding. But oftentimes, it is pain and the willingness to be with it and then break through it that puts us in that state of deeper understanding. Four key points I want to share with you. First key point, pain is often a sign that a new level of understanding is trying to break through in our lives. Pain is often a signal that a new level of understanding is trying to break through in our lives. And so particularly with emotional pain, we want to get beneath the pain, not run away from it, but get beneath it so that we can become aware of what are the deeper desires of our heart. What are the deeper desires of our heart? When we're in emotional pain, we're in emotional pain because there's something inside that's wanting to break through and we've not given it the time or the attention or the care to 
let it break through because we've resisted the pain. We're trying to shut it down. We're trying to push it away. What is the underlying message that is there for us? Because when we get that, we're going to find ourselves stepping into not the old life lived in a new way, but a new life. Second key point, we experience in our lifetime all different kinds of transitions. But the important thing to remember is no matter what transition we are experiencing, they all have the same stages. The process is the same no matter what the outer change may be. Whether it is a change from being single to married, the or married to divorce, or the change of not being a parent to becoming a parent, or the change of being in your career years to stepping into retirement. Whatever the change is, the stages are always going to be the same. Robert Louis Stevenson wrote, wherever we are, it is but a stage on the way to somewhere else and whatever we do, however well we do it, it is only a preparation to do something else to be different again. And the stages are the same. Key point number three, what are those stages? The stages are endings, the void, and new beginnings. Endings, the void, and new beginnings. Say that with me. Endings, the void, and new beginnings. Our focus today, especially as we talk a little bit about pain, has to do with, the en with endings. Next Sunday, we're going to look at the void. The following su Sunday, excuse me, at new beginnings. As human beings, where do you think most people tend to prefer being? Either at the end of an old way of being, in the void, or in the beginning, in a new way of being. How many of you would say you, you'd rather be at the ending place? At first service, some people said they'd rather be at the ending place. How many of you would rather be at the beginning place? So does that mean that the rest of you want to be in the void? How many of you want to be in the void? Okay, nobody's hand went up at, at first service either. No one wants to be in the void, and yet, that is a really important place to know how to be because endings absolutely happen, some of them of our own choosing, some of them delightful, some of them not of our own choosing, and some of them really can be traumatic. Beginnings will happen, but oftentimes the beginning takes some time. Takes some time. There is that whole middle ground we talked a little bit about this last week, that whole middle ground of the void. And unless we know how to be in that place, we will likely prematurely try to push a new beginning before it is ready or before we are ready. In many ways, these three stages, endings, the void, and the beginnings, parallel a very ancient custom, that, a custom that I wish we would reinvigorate in our, in our own culture. It's the, the um, ritual of a rite of passage. About the closest thing we've got for our kids is when they get their driver's license. And that really is not a rite of passage. But in many more indigenous cultures, there is this rite of passage that is about endings, the void, and new beginnings. And in the rite of passage, the ending is like a separation. Usually we'll take a, the case of a child, a young boy 
being introduced to the community as a young man or a young girl being introduced to the community as a new young woman. There is a separation, there is an ending. That young person is removed from the comfort and the familiarity of their normal um, family dynamics or village dynamics. And then there is the void, which is really the experience of that individual, that child, being initiated. And oftentimes that initiation process happens out in wilderness over a period of days for that young person to really begin to ponder some of the deeper questions of life, begin to try to find their own way, oftentimes just on the level of physical survival. And then there is the re-entry, the return, the new beginning. It's really a hero's journey, like Joseph Campbell wrote about so much, a hero's journey of, of ending, of being in that place of not knowing, and then coming forward and through in that place of something new. We have beautiful examples of this in our own Bible. We have the example of the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness for those 40, 40 years, having left behind their life as, as slaves in Egypt. But what you may not remember about that whole experience of them in Egypt was that place initially for them in Egypt was much like the shell for the little baby chick. It was necessary. They went to Egypt initially because there was famine in their own land. So they went there into that set of circumstances, which was better than famine for them, to be able to get what they needed at that time. But just like that chick, that eventually what once sustained it no longer works, they had to leave that behind and wandered in the wilderness trying to find their way under the leadership of Moses to that promised land, to that new beginning. We have Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights being tempted. Three temptations, numbers 40, numbers three, rich in symbology. What I'm wanting to convey is that these changes that have the ability to be used for our spiritual awakening require that we participate in them at a different level than we usually interact with change. It requires that we participate with these changes in our life from a high point of consciousness so we are fully present to the experience of the ending, the dying of the old, so that we can be comfortable as possible in the state of not knowing, the state of becoming, to where we can eventually move into that full experience of new beginning, where it is not just the old life lived in a new way, but a brand new life. And the fourth key point that I want to drive home in the last is that we must deal well with endings. And as a culture, we haven't really done that. We don't seem to know how to deal with endings. We're not comfortable yet as a culture to deal with the ultimate ending that we all experience called death. We don't want to talk about it. We push it away. We don't want to participate in it on one level yet we have no choice. Eventually, we all participate in it, but we're uncomfortable to talk about it. We, we put it off and so forth. Um, we have a challenge in our culture with, with endings. I want to read a little bit to you from some of Robert's wisdom in his book. He says, we in the West are not comfortable with any form of death or endings. We usually celebrate birth beginnings. We usually celebrate beginnings, but our endings also need to be acknowledged even the ones that are painful, even the ones that we might label as bad or negative. He says, if, this is a really important point, 
If we do not deal with our endings, we will carry the unfinished business of the past into the future. I'm going to repeat that because I think it's a really important statement. If we do not deal with our endings, we carry the unfinished business of the past into the future. Think of a situation that most of us can relate to and probably many of us can relate to directly. If we've experienced a divorce, if we have not dealt with that ending of divorce, not just on the legal level, but on the spiritual level, on the relational level, on the emotional level, if we have not dealt with that and learned what we needed to learn about ourselves, about ourselves, if we have not done that heavy lifting, that kind of work, we will be carrying all of that unfinished relational business into our next relationship. And is it then any wonder that we tend to get back with the same kind of person again and again, and we say, how in the world are there that many people just like my ex? You know, this one doesn't look a thing like that one, but by golly, this person's just... The reason is because we have not dealt well with the ending of the previous in such a way that we don't carry forward unfinished business. Bob suggests that there's two reasons that we've not dealt well with our endings, or two challenges in dealing, with our, in dealing well with endings. And that is that we either underestimate their importance or we overestimate their importance. And when we underestimate the importance of an ending, we discount the pain, the sense of loss, and the grief that we may be feeling. You know, think about when you end a relationship or when somebody that you love dies, or if you're a parent and you send your child off to college and that relationship is no longer the same kind of relationship you had before. It's an ending that can bring with it for most people a feeling of grief. And yet in our society, it's like we're not allowed to grieve. We're supposed to chin it up and get over it and move right on. We've got to be willing to feel the feelings that we have. Feeling them is not the same thing as dwelling in them. And that's the part of overestimating the ending. To overestimate the ending is to worship it, to identify solely and completely with the ending. And if we only identify with the ending, we give no space psychologically or on the soul level for a new beginning to really emerge. So it's that beautiful balance of not worshiping the ending, but honoring the ending being with whatever feelings you have about the ending, being willing to do whatever deep inner work needs to be done, reaching out to those that can support professionally or spirit spiritually or prayerfully so that the ending can actually be an ending that has some closure so you can step into the void and be prepared and healthy to be in that void so that whatever is new whatever is beautiful that wants to come forward in your soul has a chance to do that. I'm gonna close with a few more words from Robert. He writes, it is especially important that we turn to the God of our understanding during these times of passage. 
Ironically, this is often a time when our faith in everything, including God, is shaken. Think about how often when really terrible things happen in the world, people will say, how could God let that happen, right? God doesn't let any of that happen. We do. God doesn't. Ironically, though, this is often a time when our faith in everything, including God, is shaken. Yet, if we can but realize it, the possibility for an entirely new understanding of God and a new relationship with God is emerging. Each transition allows us the opportunity for a bigger God than the one we once believed in. We can realize that God is not only guiding us through the transition, but is the very force that is bringing about the transition and the resultant transformation. Change is inevitable. Transition and transformation are choices. Namaste. Thank <laughs> you.